Uh, it's just made more sense to do this. Uh, does anybody need a Bible to follow along? Does anybody need a King James Bible to look on what we're saying here? So you see it. Just raise a hand. Brother Dan's got some Bibles in the back. If anybody raise, needs one, just raise a hand. Danny will bring one to you. Um, All right, if you got your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Are we good, boys? All right. John chapter 13 is where we're going to start. Those of you that are here for the first time or the last time, never can tell these days. But uh, we are uh, going through John chapter 13, or going through the book of John for many years now. Uh, it was a book that was written that you might know who Jesus Christ really is. So it's a great, you know, kind of thing to go through because really, which I'm a little hot there, um, really we want to know who he is and what he's all about. So John chapter 13 is where we're going through and we're in the upper room here in John chapter 13. I'm good, right? And in John chapter 13, um, we're going to flip a lot of verses as is our way, but in John chapter 13, 13 is the number of rebellion in your Bible. And uh, in John chapter 13, we're going to see a good kind of rebellion for Jesus Christ's disciples. A good way to kind of live differently, walk differently, act differently, think differently, behave differently if you are calling yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, here's where the difference is going to be. Here's where it's going to be a good kind of rebellion because in a world where men love themselves... The disciples are told to love one another. That's a change. And in a world where men always want to be first, Jesus Christ is going to show his followers how to put other people first. That is not the normal way. That is a good rebellion. That's a good change of pace. That's a good altered course for people, I think, I hope I'm talking to some, that call themselves disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at John chapter 13, look at verse number 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, watch this very carefully, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth, out, poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. I want you to please notice, I'm going to spend some time talking about this, that the Son of God, the highest of the highest, <laughs> the Prince of Life himself, the King of Glory, laid aside his garments and lowered himself for the glory of God and the good of his brethren. That's the pattern. That's what he wanted us to see so badly, he made it the first thing that happens in this chapter. And then you look at verse number 15 in this chapter, Jesus Christ was so making a point by this act that he said in verse number 15, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. So Jesus Christ is telling his disciple, disciples, I want you to follow my lead. I want you to follow my example. I want you to do things my way. Do things his way. That's quite a change for a lot of us. What is the significance of Jesus Christ laying aside his garments? And what is the way of disciples that the follower of Jesus Christ should have with his brethren? That's what I want to talk about today if you need a title. The way of disciples. The way of disciples. What was Jesus Christ showing us in that act that we're supposed to then follow if we're really following him? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you today and we thank you for this word today, Lord. We pray, Lord, that everyone in here does know you as Savior. If there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray you save that person's soul, Lord. Let the gospel come clearly across. For those of us, Lord, that do know you, Father, I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, you might help our hearts to be more conformed to your Son, that the Word of God would find good soil today, Lord, 
and you'll be able to bear some fruit in us today, Lord, that the character of Christ and who you are might be more in us after hearing this message and being with you. In Jesus' name we ask this, Father. Amen. Amen. So look at verse number four there. Here's my first thing I want to say about this. The first thing I want to say is that the Lord Jesus Christ laid aside his glory to bless his brethren. Okay? The Lord Jesus Christ laid aside his glory to be a blessing to those around him. Look at verse number four. It says, in four it says, he laid aside his garments. The Lord Jesus Christ laid aside his garments. He laid aside his clothing. He laid aside his raiment. You say, what is that a picture of? What is that an example of? What does that illustrate for us? Well, go back to Psalms 104, would you? Psalms 104. Because Jesus Christ laying aside his garments is a picture of how God Almighty, Jesus Christ, would lay aside his glory. Look at Psalm 104. Let me show you a little bit about what God is, God's clothing. Let me open up God's wardrobe for you here, and let me show you what God wears. Psalm 104, verse number one. You feel free to say amen at any moment. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light. As with a garment. Can I tell you folks that the Lord covers himself with light? The same way you're wearing your clothes today? You say, what's he wearing? Dolce and Gabbana, Versace, you know, you know, Eve Saint Laurent. No, no, no. You know what he's wearing? He's got light. He's shrouded in light. He's covered in light the same way you put your garments on. That's why people can't even look upon him, because that light outshines the sun. That's the glory and the majesty and the honor that your God is clothed in and with. Now, what you wear says a lot about who you are. That's why defendants, before they get sentenced, always wear a suit, right? Because, you know, people hear what they see. And what you wear is very often a symbol of your status or a suggestion of your status or some kind of way to display who you are. Kind of like a king, right? A king will put on, or they used to put on those royal mantles, right? They put on those robes to suggest that this ain't no regular schmo. This is royalty. This is nobility. This is somebody special. Hey, God is clothed in light. He's nobody like anybody you've ever met. Now go to Matthew chapter 17, because Jesus Christ didn't parade around in that light. Jesus Christ didn't strut around in those brilliant threads of his. He kept them hidden. He laid them aside for his time on earth. But when God wanted to show some disciples exactly who Jesus Christ was, he showed off his clothes. He said, this is what my son is really sporting. This is what Jesus Christ is really donning out there in the heaven of heavens. Look at Matthew 17, verse 1. The Bible says, And after six days, interesting, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and watch it please, and his raiment, his clothing, his garments was white as the light. God said, you want to see who my son really is? I know he's going to go to the cross, but let me just show you who he really is. And he just let him get transformed in front of them, and his clothing outshined the sun, so much so that Peter and James and John fell on their faces for fear, because they never seen anything like that. And when John gets that vision of the revelation and gets caught up and he sees Jesus Christ as who he really is, you know what he does? He hits the deck, boy. He goes face down on his face and he's afraid to even lift it up. And Jesus Christ has to come over and say, it's me, don't be afraid. (laughs) Same thing he said on the mount. Man, you've never seen Jesus Christ the way he really is. Man, when you see him the way he really is, you're not going to be jumping around saying, Hosanna. You're going to be flat down on your face saying, glory, worthy is the lamb that was slain. I'm looking forward to that day, but it's going to be quite a day. Say, how come they're all casting their crowns before him? You never saw this man like, you never saw this savior like he is in glory. When these disciples who just spent about three and a half years with him saw him looking like this, they were like, boom, down flat on their faces. You know what John the apostle wrote? 
in his gospel, talking about that moment on the mount, he says in John 1.14, we beheld his glory. Like we got to look at his beauty, his splendor, his majesty on that mount. We saw something unbelievable. And he's like, I'm telling it to you now, guys. And in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying to his father in the garden, you know what he's talking about when he talks about that glory he had on the mount? He prays to his father and talks about the glory which I had with thee before the world began. He's saying, God, I came down here, I laid it aside, but I'm looking forward to coming back up there with you and picking those garments back up and getting that glory that I had with you before the world began. Now, you read through the Old Testament, and God makes a very audacious claim. In Isaiah 42, and you're going to have to mind me, but when you talk about a Savior like this, Part of you wants to explode. It's such an amazing thing to think about. I know you've got to sit there and listen, but ask the Holy Spirit to just illuminate your mind and get a, get a glimpse of what we're talking about here. Really wrap this up. I know you watched so many movies yesterday and you binge watched so many stupid things on Netflix. I probably did too. But you know, you see so much stuff, you get desensitized to what's really going on. Forget Star Wars. This is the morning star. This is the day star. This is the one that's going to outshine the sun. And uh, God the Father in the Old Testament said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. Now, Jesus in the garden said, Father, I want to get the glory that I had with thee before the world was. And then in the Old Testament, God the Father says, I'm not going to give my glory to another. Makes you think that Jesus Christ and God might be one and the same. Because God doesn't give his glory to another. And Jesus had that glory with his father. That means I and my father are one. And God doesn't give that glory. I'm going to step all over some toes right now. I might get a community strike right now. But I'm telling you right now, God doesn't share his glory with Mary. All right? She's, and, I'm, and she was a good woman in the Bible. But this other one that people talk about being some kind of co-mediatrix with Christ, that's blasphemy. God doesn't share that glory. He said, I'm the only Savior. Right? I'm not giving that glory to another. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to step on the toes too hard. But we're so sensitive, we don't mind insulting God, but we don't want to insult some pagan idea. That's a wicked idea to take the glory of God and attribute it to some figment of somebody's imagination. Can I tell you something else that's going to upset people? Probably going to get a strike on YouTube for this one. The Lord's not giving any glory to Muhammad the prophet. No glory. That vision, I don't know where it came from. I got some theories. Didn't come from God. Didn't come from Gabriel. Didn't come from Allah. That's the moon God, right? That came from that. God's like, I'm not giving any glory to that. That's not my message. He's not my messenger. God's not giving any glory. God's not giving Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, any of his glory to let Joseph Smith judge us in the last day. That's what they think, right? They think that Joseph Smith's going to get a chance to judge people ahead of Jesus Christ. Sorry, man, ain't going to happen. He says, my glory, I'm not giving to anybody else but me. It's my glory. That means, folks, stay with me now. Some of you are already like, you know, calling the ADL. You know, but the glory that Jesus Christ laid aside was the glory of God. Because Jesus Christ is God Almighty. That was God laying aside his glory to take on flesh. Can you fathom that for a little while? Can you go back to John 13 and just look at something here for a second? Look at the illustration God gave you. Look at the illustration God gave us. John chapter 13. Look at verse number four. Just look at this again. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel. A towel. Wrapped himself around with a towel. I mean, Jesus Christ laid aside all that magnificence pictured by those garments to put, on a, to put on a towel that pictures flesh. You think about that? 
Can you imagine laying aside all that glory? Could you imagine? The sun is 93 million miles away. 10% of the sun's energy powers the whole planet. 93 million miles away. Jesus Christ outshines the sun. Can you think of the power and the glory and the majesty that your Savior has? He can flick nukes like you're flicking boogers. He's just like, that's how powerful he is. Don't pick him and flick him. All right? But he's powerful. He laid that all aside to take on flesh. This thing that we drag around that gets hungry. Some of you are hungry now. I can hear the gurgling. Right? That gets thirsty. That gets weary. That gets weak. That gets hurt. That can be pierced. That can be bruised. I mean, a few weeks ago, I hurt my knee. I'm almost getting there. Keep praying for me. I'm just about there. It's more in my head now than in my knee. But I hurt my knee a few weeks ago, and on a Tuesday, I went from plyometrics, jumping around, to limping into work the next morning. You know what it was? It was humbling. My school got so big. I was like, I have to walk to the other side of the building. You know, it was humbling, though. Like, I literally was doing, like, you know, 180 squat jumps the day before, and then boop, something went, and I, the next day I'm like, you know, taking me 10 minutes to get from my car to the front door of my job. Hey, can you just think about Jesus Christ right now? He went from the cherubim and the seraphim singing his praises that, you know, they can't even look upon him. They're chanting, holy, holy, holy. He's adorned with glory. His train fills the temple, and then he comes down here, and what? He's got to walk over to a fig tree because he's hungry. He's got to lean on a well because he's weary with his journey. He's got to take a nap on a pile of fish in the back of a boat. He's got to cry, I thirst, to his persecutors because he's so parched up there on that cross. Can you and your thick head and my thick head take that in? The king of glory putting on this sack to feel the things that we felt? and experience the things that we experience to be that perfect Savior? Praise Jesus goes right there. Thank you, Lord. The one that is touched with the feeling of our infirmities was in all points tempted yet without sin that he might be a faithful high priest. Thank you, Jesus. You just plug that in whenever you want. I'm not talking about an ideology or or a book that he wrote. I'm talking about a body that he had prepared for him. I'm talking about flesh that he walked in. Flesh that got whipped and bruised and beards that got ripped out of his face. He didn't just phone it in or text in the plan of salvation. He had to put on flesh, lay aside something, and put something on so you could sit here today and say, praise God. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith, I'm going to see it afar, right? Why? Because God took on a body. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn in the back, towards the back of your Bible there. And we get excited, and we shout, and we say amen, because that's what real, real revival looks like. Humility, broken hearts, sober weeping, repentance. Why? Because the Holy Spirit kind of gets in there and says, this is who your Savior is, man. Jesus Christ girded himself with a towel because he took on flesh. You know what he did that flesh he took it on for? To clean us up. That's what a towel does, right? It wipes up stuff. That's why why it had to be a towel because he was going to wash our sins away by dying and taking those sins in his flesh. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 21 to 24 with me. The Bible says, For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now watch this one. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes those are the stripes across his back ye were healed you are clean today if you're saved say amen you are clean of your sin today because Jesus Christ excuse me Jesus Christ bore your sins in his body Holes in his hands for all the stuff you shouldn't have touched. 
Holes in his feet for all the places you shouldn't have gone. Uh, a spear in his side for all the affections you should have never felt. And a crown of thorns upon his brow for every wicked thought that ever went through your mind. He actually bore them in his body like wiping them away with a towel. That flesh just wiped and took your sins away. I think another thank you, Jesus, goes there. I think you're a little numb and need a little repentance if you can't think about somebody getting whipped for you and say thank you. If you're going to thank somebody who's going to hold the door for you on the way out today, you should shout amen, hallelujah, and glory for a Savior that's going to let himself get beaten in your place. Beaten in your place. Like Pastor Mel used to say, God put his work clothes on when he came to earth. And Jesus Christ came down here, took on flesh. Why? To get dirty. You understand that? To get in the muck and mire of your sin and lift you up and get you out. Praise God. What a Savior is that? I don't know anybody else like that. Tuck your toes in. I'm going to step on a few more. I just wonder. I just wonder. Would Pope Francis come down from his palace to wash your feet with his golden tiara and all that stuff he's got and those millions of jewels that adorn him and his little Pope mobile with the bulletproof glass? Would he come down there and get down on his hands and knees and rags and wash your feet? The vicar of Christ who's supposed to be Christ on earth? That's their doctrine. I don't see you doing that, Frankie. Right? How about this? How about would the Dalai Lama stop hobnobbing with world leaders long enough to help you walk again? He'd stop all his conferences and all his this and all his that to come help this one poor soul kind of just get upright again and walk again. Would Deepak Chopra pause his book tour to spend some time with you? I don't think so. But God got down to lift you up. God! God, the one who hung the stars also, put a towel around his waist and started picking dirt out of the toenails of some rotty fishermen. And you and I should, it's hard to say amen to that. I hope not. You know, there's a, there's a show on TV. I've never really watched it, but called Dirty Jobs. You ever seen Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Dirty Jobs. Pretty popular show, Dirty Jobs. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get on my phone right now and not listen to you anymore. No, but yeah, Dirty Jobs, right? And people just, you know, they, they just, you know, he goes in there and he's a this sewage inspector and this guy's, you know, a uh, dairy farmer. And I was looking up all the weirdest jobs that he'd done. And people are fascinated. Oh, look, somebody actually had to go in there and inspect a sewer. Somebody had to go in there and fix that garbage thing. Somebody had to go in there and do that nasty thing. And they get so fascinated by that. Hey, why are we more impressed with Jesus Christ's dirty job? That was the dirtiest job ever. He became sin for us who knew no sin. So much so that he sweat drops of blood the night before for for just the thought of it touching his sinless brow. That he was going to become the very vile thing that he hated all his existence. He had to become sin for us. He had to become lies, become lust, become a curse so that you could be saved. Why are we more impressed and tuned in and following that Savior? The dirtiest job of the universe, the Son of God partook of. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, is what goes right there. The King of Glory didn't just lay aside his garment. He didn't just change his threads. He bore your shame in the process. Could you imagine what the angels were thinking? They're over there leaning over the the banister of heaven, probably with their hand on their sword, and they're watching this go on. Could you imagine what the angels thought when they saw their king, the one maybe a week ago or a few years earlier, they saw adorned with light, wearing a towel, wearing rags, basically? What is going on? That's why they scratch their head in desire to look into this. Like, what is going on, Gabriel? He's like, I don't know. I just had to tell Mary. I don't know what's going on either. I just gave Mary the message. I don't know. Look at me. Michael's like, Michael's just probably ready to cut somebody's head off. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I mean, it's humiliating when the paparazzi roll up on a celebrity and they catch a picture without her makeup on. You know, and it's just like, ooh, that's what they look like? Yikes, right? Because, you know, when they get in front of the movie trailer, they put the spackle and the jackhammers and they do all this stuff. 
You know, they, they make somebody look like somebody they aren't, right? You know, when you, sometimes the paparazzi, they come out of a bush and, you know, well, they don't use a snap anymore. They just use this, boop, and get a shot of them. And you're like, ah, you know, and they're so embarrassed. They're so it's humiliated. They're covering their face. They're covering their eyes. How humiliating for the Holy One of Israel to stoop down with a towel around his waist and wash feet. You want to talk about humility? Go to Genesis chapter 2, would you? Am I making sense to anybody here today? All right, all right, good, good, good. We're just praising Jesus to get started. Then we'll circle around and hit you right between the eyes. Genesis chapter 2. That's why some of you don't want to say amen. You're like, you're, gonna, you're setting me up here, Pat. Uh, you know me too well. Genesis chapter 2. He's bearing the shame there by wearing that towel. Because, man, doesn't this flesh always make you ashamed? Isn't this the thing that gets you in trouble? <laughs> Paul would say, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but this flesh just wants to serve the law of sin. It's just like, oh, wretched man that I am. Jesus Christ bore that shame. He took on flesh. And it says in Genesis 2.25, this is before sin entered in, before anything bad happened, man, this is just peas and carrots right here. This is just wonderful time. Eve is made. Adam is there. He's like, wow, Eve, you're the only woman in the world for me. And it says right there, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Oh, there was no shame before sin. You know what I think? And I think I can prove it to you. I think like Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration before sin, Adam was probably clothed in light. Probably robed in light, just like Jesus Christ was robed in light. In fact, Psalm chapter 8 says that the Son of Man was crowned with glory and honor, just like Jesus Christ was crowned with glory and honor on the Mount of Transfiguration. I bet that Adam looked just like Jesus Christ before he sinned. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens. Verse number 6. And it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and watch it. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. After they sinned against God, you know what I think happened? That glory that they were adorned with was gone. They were exposed, and they were ashamed because the light had departed, and now they were not covered anymore like they were covered before. And there they were just trying to sew fig leaves together to cover up what God had covered up previously with his glorious light. But can I just point something out to you? Adam was ashamed for his own sin. Jesus Christ bore the shame of your sin. All right? It wasn't his fault, it was your fault. And on that cross, we draw him in our Sunday school pictures with a loincloth, but on the cross, your Savior was naked because sin left us all naked before a holy God. So when he stood in the place of a sinner, he was undoing what started back there in the garden. And because sin made them naked in the garden, sin had to make him naked on that cross. And there he was ashamed, a gazing stock, a spectacle the Son of God hanging out there naked on that hill for people to jeer and mock. So you could walk here and say, I am so glad that Jesus loved me. That's why he did that. Thank you, Jesus. We could plug another one in there right there. I hope you don't get bored of saying thank you, Jesus, because I'm going to plug a lot of those praise Jesuses in there. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ endured the cross despising the shame. He said, I don't care if I got to hang out there, be out there naked like that. I'll do it. I don't care if I got to be a gazing stock. I don't care if I have to bear the shame. I don't care if I have to lay aside my garment. Why? For the joy that was set before him. For the fact that he would enter into that kingdom and bring you with him. That was enough. He said, you know what? The kingdom that God's got prepared for me and the people that I could bring with me, that's enough for me to go through all that and lay this thing aside, take on this sack, hang out there like a spectacle and bring somebody, bring many sons unto glory. What a savior. What a savior. Go back to John chapter 13. Let me just show you something else there. You say, how is he able to do that? How did the son of God get that perspective? I mean, how do we get that? I mean, what did Jesus Christ do? That's an example that you and I can follow. Look at John chapter 13, verse three. There's the key. Jesus, John 13, three. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. You see that? Before he did all that, the Holy Spirit reminded you that Jesus knew that God was his Father. He was going back to him in a few moments. So this was no big deal if I had to do that in this little thing called time. Because the Lord Jesus Christ knew his brief time on earth was the time God gave him to serve. He had no problem with it. He said, God, you sent me here to do this. I'm going back to you anyway to get my glory back. Hey, three and a half years ain't too bad to just lay some things aside, right? Hey, folks, have you forgotten that? Jesus Christ knew his purpose. He knew he was here to be a servant. That's why he wore a towel. You go to the restaurant, the servants, the waiters usually have a towel around their waist or over their shoulder. That's the mark of a servant. He came here to serve. He knew his purpose to you. He never lost perspective. He knew that that little span of three and a half years was not his time to reign yet. See John 18? Look at John 18, 36. Flip over there before I flip out. John 18, 36. Let me actually open this bottle of water and drink some before you hear a thud. All right, John 18, 36. Jesus is talking to his, his, his accuser, Pilate. <laughs> you know, Pilate is just like, don't you know I got power over you? I mean, I think the angels had to get a laugh out of that one. <laughs> it's like, that's a funny one. I see, I see what that guy Pilate said. <laughs> and he said in 18:36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. I hope your Bible has these next two words. But now is my kingdom not from hence. See, Jesus Christ didn't lose perspective. He said, you think you got me? Don't worry, I got a kingdom coming. It's just not right now. It's just not right now. You know what Paul tells the Corinthians at one point? He says, ye have reigned as kings on the earth. And I would ye did reign. Because sometimes we think it's all down here. We're just going to get it all right now. It's not right now, folks. He always had the right, because he had the right purpose and the right perspective, he always had the right passion. He always had this passion, your Savior, to lower himself that he might lift up his brethren. How about you? Here it comes. How about you? Have you forgotten your purpose? Have you lost your perspective? Are you running out of passion? Are you walking in the way of disciples like Jesus Christ showed you in the upper room? Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Let's talk about that purpose, that perspective, and that passion that your Savior showed us is the way of disciples. And I'm praying for myself like I'm praying for you to get this because i got to get this. My first point was simply that the Lord Jesus Christ laid aside his glory to bless his brethren. My second point is, will you lay aside your glory to bless somebody else? Jesus Christ did it, said, follow my footsteps. Here's my example. Will you do it? You know why we don't do it? Matthew chapter 20. You know why we don't do it? Because sometimes disciples, those that claim to be following Jesus Christ, and if you think you're a disciple, can I just get one amen? Okay. Disciples lose sight of their purpose. They forget that you're here to serve. That's what our little dash between two dates is for. It's to serve. Matthew chapter 20 shows us even the disciples back then lost sight of their purpose. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, this is James and John's mom, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. Whatever we got to do to get that throne, Jesus. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and shall be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. There they are, forgetting their purpose. They're just like, Jesus, what can we get? What can we get? What can we get? What can we get? 
And you know what he has to do in verses 25 to 27? Jesus Christ has to remind his disciples that their mission is to minister. Their mission is to serve. Brother Andrew was talking with me in the, in, in the prayer room. I'm going to slip this in here, brother. And he was talking about, you know, the Lord opening a door for him to give a word to somebody. And that person, you might have had this happen to you too. They said, uh, are you a minister? And Andrew was reminding me, and he's right, that we should be like, yes, we are ministers. Right? That's what we're here for. We're here to help. We're here to give. We're here to bless. We're here to kind of pour in that oil and wine. And Jesus Christ in Matthew 20, 25 says, But Jesus called them unto him, meaning his disciples, and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. See what that Jesus is reminding them? The mission is the minister, guys. You guys are servants. That's your purpose. He's like, I know what it's like in the world. See, 25 and 26, he's saying, I know what it's like in the world. He's saying in the world, everybody helps themselves. Cans all they get. He says, you guys are here to help somebody else. That's your mission. That's your purpose. That's your calling. He said, how can that be? 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, some people come to church and they just sit back and they say, Impress me. Feed me. You know, do something for me. What do you, it's like that, that big, like, you know, little shop of horrors, like that big Venus flytrap, you know. Feed me, Seaboy. It's just like, you know, kind of give me something. What do you got today? You know what this, what would this church be like if you came and said, what can I give today? What can I bless with today? Who can I be today? How can I help today? Now you'll get the help, but Jesus said, I came to lay my life down for somebody else. And you're supposed to be following me. So if the Son of God came to minister, and he knew that's why he was here, why do you think you're here, Son of God? Why didn't he just sap you up to heaven the day you called on Jesus Christ? Why are you still here? What's it all about? Come on, think with me. Think. It's okay to use your brain. I know you maybe didn't do it in a week or so, but use, click, you know, turn the crank there, get the, the, the mouse back on the wheel, turn it around a little bit, and think about it. Why are you here? You're here to minister. You're here to help someone. You're here to be that servant and prove yourselves that God may have you do some serving in the hereafter. But that's a message for another time. Have you forgotten your purpose, disciple? Have you forgotten that it's not about what can I get, but what can I give? Jesus Christ knew why he was here for just a short time in the flesh. Do you know why you're here for your short time in the flesh? It's just a short time. You're going to blink, and you're going to be gone. High school was a blink away from me. I might blink. I was in high school. I blink. I got married five minutes ago. I blink. I got saved five days ago. And it's like 20-something years later. I'm saved. I'm married. I have three kids. They're outgrowing me now. I mean, it just... It's a vapor. It's a dash between two dates. And it's here for a little while and then vanisheth away. You know what would be good to do? Take your little dash and just give it all to Jesus. Somebody said, give your life to Christ. He can do more with it than you can. Amen. Amen. Doesn't mean you can't have vacations and a nice lunch today and enjoy a trip with your family and stuff with your friends. I didn't say that. I didn't say you had to put on rags and do a monastic life. I'm just saying, where's your heart today? Amen. If the Prince of Life gave himself for others, why won't you? Amen. That's your purpose. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Let me give you another one. Luke chapter 17. No, Luke chapter 14. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 14. Let me give you another one here. How about your perspective? You know why sometimes we don't lower ourselves like the Savior? Here's another uh, speculation of mine. Because sometimes disciples just lose their perspective. We just think too highly of ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm included. I'm, I'm amen in myself there. 
We just think too highly of ourselves. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 4, um, verse 7, I'm sorry. It says, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee in him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." You know what God's saying? I know all the doctrinal applications for that, but let's just personalize it, practicalize it, if that's even a word. Let's just make it practical. You're going to a wedding. You know what you're supposed to do before you get to that wedding? Just take the lowest seat. Let somebody else say, go up higher. You know what it says back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 7? It says, better it is that it be said unto thee, come up hither than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes hath seen. Better that God says to you, come up hither, and you get your real reward than you just try to get it all down here. You know, come up hither is what Jesus Christ is going to say at the rapture. And you know what that says to me? It would be better to take the lowest room now and let Jesus Christ reward you later at the judgment seat of Christ. We better say, I'm just a servant, I'm just a this, I'm not anybody special, I don't deserve anything better. And then when, the, when your work on earth is done, let the Savior say, hey, come up hither. I got a crown for you. That would be so much better than just getting it all now. Better it be said unto thee, come up hither. Has your perspective gotten skewed, saint? You looking for exaltation in this life? Oh, if I got 70 years, I got to get all I can in that 70 years because, you know, I deserve this and you deserve that and I deserve better. No, you deserve the backside of hell. Oh, I know. I just, your toes are shot. You need a, you know, uh, what's the foot doctor? I was going to say the other one. That's a bad one. (laughs) You don't need the other one. You need a podiatrist, right? Because I'm stepping all over toes because this stepped all over my toes this week. We, des- we think we deserve better. You won't say it out loud. I'll say it for you. We think, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I deserve that great job. I deserve that great house. I deserve that great spouse. I deserve that great this. I deserve this. I deserve that comfort and that ease. God says, you'd do a lot better if you just had a little bit of humility and let me exalt you. That's the point of it. A disciple doesn't get the chief seats down here. You don't get the best seats down here. The world is not our home. No, the faithful follower gets a throne to reign with Christ when Jesus Christ says, come up hither. We all want the best seat down here. God says, no, you don't get the best seat down here. Sit in the bleachers. Because you know when you get the best seat? When I share my throne with you in my kingdom. Better it is that it be said unto thee, come up hither. Then God has to humble you later. Humble yourselves now. Get the right perspective. Hey, do you need the Lord to anoint your eyes with some eye salve? (laughs) That you might see the way of disciples? This is the way of disciples, folks. Go to Luke 17. Let me show you another thing about this. Luke 17. I know it's not a popular message. I know it's not even a rah-rah message. I rah-rahed you in the first half. But this is a sobering message. This is where the rubber meets the road. I could talk about millennial salvation and all the dispensations and the covenants backwards and forwards, and that titillates our mind. But this stuff is going to help you be a blessing to your family, be a blessing at your workplace, be a Christian. Be a Christian. Somebody following Christ. The way Christ ministered, we're ministering. Luke 17, 7, look at that. But which of you having a servant? Are you a servant? Amen. Plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat. And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward Thou shalt eat and drink. You see, you get your reward afterward. Doth he thank that servant? 
because he did the things that were commanded him, I trow not. That's an Elizabethan way of saying, I don't think so. Verse number 11, uh, verse number 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. See that? See, I came to church, God, and I, you know, I, I gave my time, God, and I gave my energy, God, and I did this, God, and God says, good, do it a little more. Amen. Afterwards, you'll get to sit at the supper, but right now, it's time to work. Amen. You're just doing what I commanded you to do. And you have to have the perspective, I'm an unprofitable servant. <laughs> Don't ever start thinking you deserve better or some kind of bonus because you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the perspective of disciples is? It's right there in verse number 10. We are unprofitable servants. We're just doing our duty. This is what we're supposed to do. This is not extraordinary Christianity. This is normal Christianity. This is baseline Christianity. Somehow it's gotten skewed in the palaces of Christendom and the, uh, the affluence of Christendom. Somehow we've thought that the gigantic auditoriums and the jets that are billion dollars that are ours, we somehow thought that that prosperity gospel was the way that God really wanted to be and not to take the lowly way of the Nazarene and just pour out your life for other people. And he'll give you a nice house and a nice car and a nice job, but that's not the goal. <laughs> Those are just the drippings that come off the side of the, t- the plate. God will take care of you. He always does. But you're a minister. You're a servant. And you know what you are? You're a debtor. You know, in accounting, I am not an accountant. I will never be an accountant. I would mess up everybody's books. But there's that expression in accounting. In the red. When you're in the red, you're in debt. You, You owe. You're not making a profit. You're unprofitable. And if you're saved, guess what? You're in the red. You're washed in the blood. You're in the red. You're an unprofitable servant. You are going to hell faster than you could say hell. You deserve nothing. You are on a crash course with God's judgment. And Jesus Christ stepped in the way of that oncoming train and delivered you by shedding his blood in your place. Guess what? You are in the red. You could try the rest of your life to pay him back. You never will. But man, you should try because you're an unprofitable servant. You're just doing the best you can to pay him back. You know, it was a late in the day, the week before Christmas, and the hospital halls were emptying out. It seemed that even Santa Claus had gone home. In the midst of the frantic days before the holidays, some parents sat holding vigil for their child in surgery at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. The procedure was to remove a rare, aggressive cancer. The surgeon... Dr. Michael LaQuaglia. As the hours dragged on, three hours, then five hours, then eight hours, the child's parents prayed but feared the worse. It was then that the doctor emerged from the operating room. He started to apologize. It was necessary to remove the child's kidney to save his life. But all the parents only heard was the news that their greatest Christmas gift had arrived early. Their child was alive. They began to profusely thank the doctor, and he said, don't thank me, thank him, Dr. LaQuaglia said, and he pointed straight up. Dr. LaQuaglia was my son's surgeon about a week ago, chief pediatric surgeon at a world-renowned hospital in New York City for cancer, and probably an unsaved doctor had enough humility to stop somebody from thanking him for just doing his duty. Don't thank me. Thank him. So before you start thinking you're something great, before you start thinking you're something special, no, 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 don't thank me. Thank him. I'm just an unprofitable servant. I'm just doing my duty to try to pay him back. Don't ever get bigger than a servant, beloved. Don't ever get bigger than a servant. That is the perspective of disciples. And finally, go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is the way of disciples. I know there's a lot of believers in here, but there may not be as many disciples. Disciples are ones that follow. You know what happens also sometimes? Sometimes we lose sight of our purpose. 
Sometimes our perspective gets skewed. And sometimes disciples just run out of passion. We just run out of fuel for our service. And in Philippians 2 is a little bit of gas for your tank. Because when you feel yourself growing cold, I'd like you to remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Look where it starts in Philippians 2, which is all about the model servant. It says, if, and it's a little bit almost sarcastic, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Hey, has Jesus Christ consoled you at all? Comforted you at all? Dried your tears? Reminded you that he's got them in his bottle? Kind of be an encouragement to you? Has he done that for you at all? Okay, keep going. If any comfort of love, Has the love of God in Jesus Christ wrapped itself around you ever? Made you just feel like, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Even though everybody else might turn against you, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Has that love comforted you at all? You could say amen, has it? At the grave sites and the hospital beds and the empty rooms and the late nights when you're tossing and turning and you're looking in the mirror going, why God, why? Has the love of God ever snapped, slipped in there and said, all things work together for good. To them that love God. You just keep loving me, son. I love you. I love you, son. In the cancer wards, and that love of God just snuck in there and said, don't, I love you, son. I love you. I know you don't understand, but I love you. Has it comforted you at all? If there be any. How about if any fellowship of the Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit ever just reminded you, you're going to heaven, son. (laughs) You're going to get a crown that fadeth not away. This thing is real. Look how this verse goes with that verse. You see how this Bible is written by God? You see God's love letter to you, son? That Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Had the Holy Spirit ever do that for you? That Holy Spirit ever just bring a verse to mind just when you needed it? You ever done that for you? Am I the only one? Anything ever slipped through your mind in your prayer closet and just the Holy Ghost just took something and said, that's what you needed. And you're like, oh, man, I needed that, God. That fellowship, I needed it, Lord. If any bowels and mercies, hey, has God ever been kind to you? Well, if that's true, then he says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's like, man, before I tell you what to do for each other, can you remember all Jesus Christ has been for you? How much he served you, helped you, ministered to you? And man, in verses 3 and 4, when you remember how low Jesus Christ went for you, it shouldn't be that hard to go down for somebody else and lower yourself for somebody else and humble yourself for somebody else. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's got to happen in your head. You could put on that voluntary humility. I'm just a servant. It's not me. It's God. Uh, Deep down, the Lord knows your heart. In your mind, do you know you're nothing but dirt that God lifted up out of the miry clay? That lowliness of mind, say, ain't no big deal if I got to pick the dirt out of your toes, if you remember who you are. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's saying, man, the inclination is always to be mine, 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 mine. That's your inclination. Be a good rebel. Think about his and hers and theirs and yours. And Let the humility of Jesus Christ inspire you to follow his steps. Look at verses 5 to 8. This is like holy ground right here in your Bible. Let this mind be in you. Notice before he talks about a model servant, he shows you the model servant. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He could have strutted his stuff around the streets of Galilee, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant there's your towel and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross if Jesus Christ laid down his life for you 
You're telling me you can't lay something down for your brother? You're really going to make that case? You can really try that at the judgment seats bar? I'd retract that if I were you. If Jesus Christ went to the lowest hell for you, you can't endure some hardness for somebody else? Really? And you're a disciple? And I'm supposed to be following his steps? If that was Jesus Christ's way, why does the way of disciples seem so foreign to us today? Seems so strange. Seems so extreme. That's the way we're supposed to be. You know what this place probably stinks of more often than not? Pride. Self. Flesh. With our King James Bible and our right divisions and our proper tracts and our good pamphlets and our prayer rooms, I, I wonder how much of my stinking pride is just stinking up the place instead of that humble Servant just breaking her alabaster box and letting the odor of her sacrifice and her humility just fill the house. Fill the house. Oh, yeah, it's right there. That's right where Christianity is. Right there. You feel that sting? You feel that prick? That's right where you got to meet God and say, Lord, search me. See if there be that wicked way in me. They got some folks they think they're having a revival down south. You know what they're doing? They're jumping up and down. It's a rock concert. You know where a real revival happened? When people fell flat on their face and said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. That's where it starts. It was October 14, 1987. When the world watched as dozens of rescue workers descended on a backyard in Midland, Texas to save the life of a baby girl who fell down a well 22 feet below ground. Her name was Jessica McClure, but she will forever be remembered in America's heart as Baby Jessica. How many people remember Baby Jessica, right? If you're a millennial, sorry, right? She was just 18 months old when she fell down an eight-inch well in her aunt's backyard. And for more than two tense days, we held our collective breath as what happened next became the focus of every media outlet in the country, with Americans watching and waiting to see if the toddler could be saved in time. And you know what? When that was going on, there was all this fanfare and all this pomp and all this coverage to see somebody go down 22 feet to save someone from a deadly fall. You know what we call those people? Heroes. And rightfully so. They had to dig a canal next to the well and go underground and get this little girl out of me. Amazing. All she lost was her pinky toe and had a scar across her forehead. An amazing rescue. And these people did an amazing job. And the whole nation applauded and celebrated and paid attention. But what about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ went all the way down to hell to save you from a deadly fall. Where's the fanfare? Where's the glory? Where's the magnification? Where's the exaltation? I know who exalted him. The Father did. Because he went that low to bring you up. Verse number nine. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. God says, hey son, if you're willing to take the lowest room now and go down to the lowest parts of the earth now, I'm going to exalt you higher than anybody else. And if you're willing to follow in the Lord's steps, God Almighty will exalt you in due time. But now is time to get down that he might lift you up. Go back to John 13. We'll finish right there in John 13. This is the way of disciples. John 13, 12. You want to see when this was all over? It's all pictured right here for you. It's a great picture. John 13, 12. So after, so after, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, see that phrase? And was set down again he said unto them know ye what I have done to you you know what the Bible says of Jesus Christ see that word there that phrase there in 12 it says he was set down again in Hebrews chapter 12 it says Jesus Christ endured the cross despising the shame and is set down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, you did everything, son. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And if you follow his steps, one day you're going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ and sit with him in the throne of his glory, reigning with him in his kingdom. But you just got to be willing to follow the way. Now for the young guys in the room, this might be the only thing you hear me say, but there's a show on Disney called The Mandalorian, right? You all know it. I know you know it. Don't pretend like you don't know it. All the Star Wars geeks in the room know The Mandalorian. And the Mandalorian is like this group of people that follow this different way of living. And they've got this creed that they follow and these behaviors that they follow. And they're always telling each other, this is the way. Right? This is the way. Right? Right? They all, you all know it. All the Star Wars people are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I got a little guru right here. Right? You know, this is the way. Right there, they'll put that, they got to wear their helmet all the time, right? They always got to wear their helmet. And they, you always got to keep your helmet on, Mandel, Mandalorian. You always got to wear that helmet. This is the way. And when they talk to each other, they remind each other, this is the way. Well, you know what the Bible says about you? You're supposed to be clothed with humility. This is the way. This is the way of disciples. This is the way. And for the followers of Jesus Christ, this is the way of disciples. Lowering yourself, humbling yourself to lift somebody else up. John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he did this. He's saying, if you know that God's your Father, do you? And if you know you're going to meet him soon, do you? And you have this little speck of time to serve him. This is the way. This is the way. Let's stand for prayer.